All right, well, we are in week three of Road Trip. Have you guys enjoyed this series so far? All right. Twelve of you. Twelve of you have. Uh, week one, we were uh, in San Francisco, California, and talked about when you desire what God desires, go until God gives you a no. Go until God gives you a no. Week number two, we uh, made a stop in Las Cruces, New Mexico, where we talked about that God will never desert you in the desert. God will never desert you in the desert. Week three, we are in Dallas, Texas. We got any Texans in here? Nope. <laughs> it happens every week. I don't know why. Wherever we go, no one's from there. So you guys need to get out more. I don't know. Want to be Texan? All right. Well, you know what? Um, we are talking about committed to Christ and his church. Um, if, I had, uh, if I had cowboy boots, I'd be wearing them right now. But uh, my wife is, and she's looking smoking hot tonight. Um, I have some pictures for you guys to share, for, for me to show you. Uh, we have the uh, Cowboys Stadium. Ever been to the, again, the Cowboys fans up in here? All right, praying for you, praying for you. Uh, that's uh, Jerry, Jerry World. Um, that scoreboard is, um, that scoreboard costs more than the previous stadium costs to build. Is that insane or what, man? Uh, so actually, we actually toured that before we left. Uh, next one. We have the uh, stockyards in Fort Worth, Texas, which is about 30 minutes away. That's, uh, you know, it's called the DFW uh, Metroplex there. And we've, we took a lot of uh, people that we knew uh, there. Now, it's funny, those bulls, they say the, uh, um, you know, the, the, ri the riding of the bulls, or they do that every day. And so we were really excited about seeing these bulls come down the street, because, I mean, how often do you see that, really? Well, these bulls are like 80 years old. <laughs> and it was not a run. It was kind of more like a, here we go again. So it was a little anticlimactic, but it was still cool. It was still cool. So I encourage you guys to check that out. Uh, the next one, we have uh, the skyline. Man, I loved uh, driving through the city at night, uh, seeing that skyline. If you've ever driven in Texas before, man, buckle up and get ready because uh, it's, quite, it's quite an experience. And uh, the next one, Dallas, the TV show, right? We got JR. We got Sue Ellen, Bobby, and I don't know who the lady is next to him. But, um, but who, who of you watched, watched Dallas back in the day? Yeah. Remember, like, who shot JR and, and all that stuff, man. And, and we, 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 came to we came to Dallas, Texas in 2005. Um, we had just gotten married. Two weeks after we got married, we moved to Texas. We had a new job in a new church. You want to talk about transition. It was a lot of transition in a short amount of time. I was a youth pastor at New Life Bible Fellowship in Oak Cliff. Um, Oak Cliff is, a, is on the six o'clock news quite a bit, um, not for good reasons, if you know what I mean. And we were in between, we were five minutes down the road from T.D. Jake's, the Potter's House. 
uh, and we were also five minutes from the other side with uh, Tony Evans, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. So just, just a couple uh, small-time preachers that maybe none of you have ever heard of before. But I was, we were there for four years, and uh, just, just an awesome, awesome four years of our life. Um, I loved the families there. They, they just poured into us. I loved the youth. We cried together. Uh, we laughed together. Um, There's many times I wanted to strangle them. And uh, if you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. But you know what? There's probably times that they wanted to strangle me, too. So it was, it was fair. A couple, couple, uh, couple of the guys from the youth group actually came out to see me a couple years ago. Uh, they drove all the way uh, through the night and, and stayed, stayed here for a couple days. So it was awesome seeing them. And our family just was in uh, Dallas, Texas in, in May. Uh, one of our youth got married. Uh, so actually, it was like the, the uh, pastor's daughter and one of, her, one of his daughters. And they flew our whole family out there to, to shoot the wedding. And so just, just precious people to me. Uh, they loved on us. Um, I remember when my, when my wife and I, we, we moved there, uh, we, we arrived, and there was the whole youth group. And several people from the church were right there at our apartment uh, waiting for us to move in. They had a big old sign. And uh, they had gotten to our in, inside to our apartment beforehand, and they had even groceries in the shelf. Um, just, just meant the world, meant the world to us. They opened up their homes. I was never a youth pastor before, so they were very patient with me. Uh, pastor Kenner, senior pastor, um, just an incredible man. I respect him highly. Uh, the staff and and all the ministry leaders. Um, we had Graydon out there, so we had our first child out there in uh, in Texas. And um, so there was a lot of adjustment with that, being uh, new, new parents. Uh, Sabrina had a postpartum pretty bad. And if any of you uh, ladies have had postpartum or uh, guys, if you've gone through that, you know how difficult that is. Um, you know, we would just be sitting watching a show, and all of a sudden she would just start crying. And I didn't know how to respond. And, uh, but it's a, very, it's a very real thing. It's a very real thing. And, and I remember w- women just coming into, uh, into her life and just, just ministering to her during that difficult time. Um, and I'm just so, I'm so grateful um, for that. One time, uh, our washer and dryer went out. And when you have a newborn, you wash a lot of clothes when you have a newborn. And so our clothes were just piling up. And, um, and there was a couple that came and bought a brand new washer and dryer and just showed up at her house with it. And it was nicer than the one before we had. So I was very grateful for that. Uh, the first six months were, were, very, were very difficult. They were very tough. So much to adjust to. I was, uh, you know, I was 27 years old when I got married. So I was, you know, a little, a little bit older. And um, I was, you know, I was kind of set in my ways you know, and uh, I was a little bit of a jerk. Um, I'm so glad my wife didn't say amen to that part right there. But God, re- God has really transformed my life in the last, uh, last nine years. But we had some couples come alongside of us in, um, in Dallas that, that reminded us that the struggles that we were having as newlyweds were pretty normal. Um, I had a lot, there was a lot of stuff going on in the youth group. In the first six months, li- listen to this. In the first six months, we had a youth that lost his mother in a fire. Uh, we had a girl that was cutting herself. I mean, just cutting her arms, legs. Uh, we had to deal with that. Um, we had one girl that was struggling with an eating, eating disorder. One, 
one had been sexually abused um, previously before we came, and so we were working uh, through that with them. One attempted suicide. That's for six months, guys. Uh, do you think we needed some love and support? Uh, and we learned to depend on our church family at that time. You bet we did. You learn to rely on your church family when you live far away from your immediate family. Can I get an amen to that? How many of you guys learned learn that? Um, and, I, and I think sometimes you will even find yourself that you, you are even closer. You, sometimes you be, even become closer with your church family than even your immediate family. And that's not a bad thing. That's just, it just happens that way. You know, you guys are going through life together. And, um, you know, and what a blessing that can be. But a question I want to ask you tonight is, where would you be without the church? I mean, think about the difficult times that you went through and where would you and your spouse and your family be if the church wasn't there? I mean, could you imagine how you would have gone through some of the things you would have gone through if you didn't have a church family? Uh, so this message hopefully will inspire you, challenge you, and it's probably going to tick some of you off. Um, but that's okay, because as one of your pastors, if I'm not ticking you off every once in a while, I'm probably not challenging you enough. So um, notice I don't have water tonight. I have Gatorade. So it's going to be one of those messages, whatever that means. The word church is used over 100 times in the New Testament. But 98 of those times, the word church is used to reference the local assembly of believers. The local assembly, not the universal church, but a specific uh, body of believers. So we're going to be in Romans 12. Uh, tonight, if you guys have your Bibles or your app, you can pull it up, or we have it on the screen. Uh, Romans 12, and if uh, you want to put that up. All right. Um, now, Paul is speaking to the church in Rome. And it's really important for us to, to, to remember and realize, a lot of times when we read Scripture, we look at, look, we look at it as if, Okay, this is something that I have to do or how I have to live. Um, it's, Paul's, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, talking about being a living sacrifice to God. And I think that we forget when we read scripture like this, it's not just about how I can be a living sacrifice, but how can I be a living sacrifice with God's church? Because I can't do that apart from the body. And so when you read scripture, it's not just you, but how God wants to work through you through the church as well. So let's, let's read a little bit. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. First point, you have to humble yourself to become holy. Uh, so that's the first blank in your uh, worship card there. 
I didn't really, after I kind of thought about that, and uh, Pastor Jared has been coming alongside and, and uh, just kind of reviewing my sermons, and so is my wife as well. And, uh, and as I was thinking about that, I'm like, ah, I don't know if I like that point. So I changed it. Uh, the path to holiness starts with humbleness. Uh, so there's similarities there, but the path to holiness starts with humbleness. If we were to give our bodies to God as a holy sacrifice, what, what does that look like? What does, what does holy mean? Holy means to be set apart, to be dedicated, to be exclusively for God's use. That's what holy means. Holiness only results from a right relationship with God and his people. With God and his people. Verse 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The Holy Spirit in your life is God's very presence, and he is the one that transforms your life. That's, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. But you have to be teachable, and you have to be correctable for that to happen. So a question I want to ask you is, are you teachable? When someone speaks truth into your life, do you get all defensive or do you receive that? Because you want to be more like Christ and less than yourself. Let's go to, go to the next verses. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. So, where we leave off? Yeah, warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us, just as our bodies have many parts and each has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of the body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God is, he has given you. And then there's also, he goes on to talk about other gifts as well. But in verse 3, he says, don't think you are better than you really are. It's our tendency to drift from God and be selfish, isn't it? It's our tendency to be selfish. No one has to teach a toddler how to be selfish. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if you had a toddler, I mean, what are they always saying all the time? It's mine. It's mine. I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a fallen state that we, that, we, that we were born into. This world will draw us to focus on ourselves. But the church will help you to focus on others. The world wants you to focus on, we're the selfie generation, man. The, the world wants you to focus on you. The church wants you to help focus on others. I believe that pride and arrogance prevent a lot of even Christians from being committed to a local body. Pride and arrogance. You know, I desire and I need deeper relationships with godly men. I need that in my life. And, uh, and I was just talking to... Uh, a close brother of mine, and I said, "Man, you know, I need some more. Uh, I need some more godly men in my life. You know, can we can we get together on a regular basis?" And he said, "Sure." I 
so we're going to start getting together on a regular basis. When is the last time you confessed your sin with the one another? And I think that it's harder to confess your sins to your brothers and sisters in Christ than it is to God. And if you say, well, I don't believe that, well, then why don't you do it more? I mean, I can say, God, forgive me, and, I, and the whole, even the whole blanket prayer, God, forgive me for any of my sins. That's, we need to be specific. We need to call out our sins. We need to call out our shortcomings. But you need the church. You need brothers and sisters in Christ, in your life, who you can say, I messed up. And I did this this last week uh, with, with someone. And it was hard, man. It was hard to share what I did. But, but man, it felt so good to just tell someone else. Who holds you accountable? Who, who holds you accountable? If you don't have accountability in your life, you're capable of doing anything. Anything. And a lot of people that we see that we just can't believe the things that they've done is there's no accountability in their life. Point number two, the church is God's agent for change. The church is God's agent for change. I love this quote by Bill Hybels. He pastors a small church called Willow Creek in Chicago. It says, the local church is the hope of the world. If there was any other organization that could have more of an impact, I would join it. If there was any other organization that could have more of an impact, I would join it. God's plan A is to use the church. There is no plan B. It's plan A, the church, his bride. The church is the only thing that is going to survive. Everything that we see, everything in this life will be destroyed except the church. So if the church is going to be the only thing that's going to survive, wouldn't you want to pour everything you have into what's going to last? Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says to his disciples and even Peter, he said, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. The powers of hell will not conquer my church. Sign me up for that. My family is my first ministry. They are my first ministry. I, I, they, other, other than Jesus Christ, they are my priority, my wife and my kids, in that order. But I will give everything I have to the church until my last dying breath. I will give my life to the church. In verse 5, it says, We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. And we've all been given different gifts. I love how it says that we belong to each other. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to boast here. I just want to just be real. This last week, I've prayed with several of you. Um, some of you, it's been in the parking lot. Some of you, it's been at the altar. Some of you, it's been over the phone. And I don't know what it is this week, man, but um, some of you that I've prayed with, I, I don't know you very well, but you were sharing me some of the things that you're going through and, and I was, as I was praying for some of you, and you guys know uh, this, that who I did that with, I was, I was crying while I was praying with you. 
you know, I don't know some of you very well, but you were opening up to me. And as I was praying, I just started crying, literally. When you hurt, I hurt. As one of your pastors. As, as one of your shepherds. And, and that's why I know that I'm doing what I was called to do. Um, when, when, when there's something in your life that, that is worth celebrating, I celebrate that with you. When there is sin in your life, I mourn that with you. Because what sin does is sin disrupts fellowship with God and sin disrupts fellowship with your church body. That's what sin does. So when you sin, you are not only affecting yourself. When you sin, you are affecting those that are closest to you, but you are also affecting your church body. I don't know if we've thought of it that way. So the next time you want to do something that does not glorify God, that you know is wrong, I just want you to stop and say, okay, if I do this, I'm affecting everyone I love, and I'm affecting the bridge. Because that's my, that's my family. It says we belong to each other. I mean, when you, when you hurt a part of your body, I mean, your whole body is, is sending, I mean, there's sending signals to your brain letting you know. Your, your whole body feels that. The church is the body of Christ. It's the means how Jesus does his work in the world. The purpose of God is for his people to be gathered and visible in this world. We can do more together than we ever can do alone. The White family can impact Goldsboro. And for those of you that don't know, my last name is White. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not racist. Just need to clarify that. Um, it's, you know, it's always awkward when my kids are playing with other kids. And I'm like, all right, white boys, let's go. That was my wife's joke. She told me to tell that last night. I give her, I give her credit. But really, I mean, the bridge and the Goldsboro campus can impact this city more than just my family can. Don't you want to be a part of something with greater impact? I mean, I, I know that I do. Next one. If you love the shepherd, you will love his sheep. If you love the shepherd, you will love his sheep. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by church people. Raise your hand. Let's be honest here. And you guys are still here? So someone's got two hands raised. That was what, what, are you do, what are you still doing here? You've been hurt. Sheep smell, sheep are messy, and sheep bite. And many of us have been bitten by God's sheep. If 
you've been coming for the bridge for a while and we haven't hurt or disappointed you, give us time. Guarantee it's going to happen. Just give us some time. Because we are imperfect people. And if you are expecting perfection from imperfect people, you will be disappointed every single time. And I love what Pastor Farrell says, if you find a perfect church, don't go to it because you'll mess it up. All right? John 13, 5, Jesus says, your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove that you're my disciples. No one should be more loving and forgiving than the church. No one. We should be some of the most loving and forgiving people around. Am I extending the same grace to God's church as he has extended to me? No one, no one, none of you can hurt me as much as I have hurt Jesus. Nobody will be able to hurt you more than you have hurt Jesus. That's a strong statement, but it's truth. If I want to become more like Jesus Christ, I must have affection for what he's affectionate for. And what does Jesus love more than anything else? church. He has affection for the church more than, more than we can even fathom. If, if I want to become committed, and if I, if I love Jesus and I want to be committed, then I have to be what he's committed to, which is the church. So I have to be affectionate to what he's affectionate to. I have to be committed to what he's committed to. The church is the bride of Christ. He is jealous, capital J, jealous for his bride. And, you know, we think of jealousy and we, we have all these, you know, we think, jealous, what? God's jealous? It's, it's not an envious kind of jealousy that we struggle with. It is exclusive devotion. God wants exclusive devotion devotion from his people intolerance of rivalry he will defend and fight for his church until the very end now say you talk bad about me that's alright I can put up with that you talk bad about my wife It's on. It's on like Donkey Kong, right? Because that's my wife, dude. And you can mess with me, but you don't mess with her. If someone came up to me and they punched me in the face, I may or may not retaliate. 
someone hits her, mm, it's over, buddy. It's over. And I'm not going to stop swinging until the cops come. Because I have friends in the sheriff department who, <laughs> like Michael, who's here tonight. But, I mean, you, you, do you, do you, are you picking up what I'm putting down, you know? That jealous love, that's how God feels about you. So when you put something or someone else ahead of him, he's a jealous God. And he doesn't want anyone or anything more important than him. So how do you respond when someone talks bad about God's bride? Because we hear it all the time, don't we? In conversations, you know, maybe at work. Do you say anything? Or you just let it roll off? Or do you stick up for the bride, for, for Christ's bride? If you talk negatively, I'm talking to everyone in this room. If you talk negatively about God's church, you're going to have to answer to God for that. Because he is a jealous husband. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the pain and the hurt that you went through with the church. Maybe it was this one. Maybe it was the previous one. Maybe it was the pastor. I'm not trying to diminish that. But you can't stay there. You have to move on. You have to move on. Jesus was hurt by the church more than anyone else. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And he continues to pursue the church. He continues to pursue his bride. How arrogant to say, God, I know you've forgiven the church. I know that they hung you on a cross, literally, and you died for the church, but I just can't. I just can't forgive you. I just can't. I pray that God is dealing with your heart right now. Because that's very, that is very dangerous ground, and that will just infect you for the rest of your life until you can release it. Last point. Committed to Jesus means being committed to his church. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of the ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. To not neglect or give up speaks of desertion or abandonment. Don't ever abandon the church. Don't ever abandon, don't ever desert the bride of Christ. You know, Back when this was written, the church was being very persecuted. 
people are literally dying for their faith. And, and people around the world are dying for their faith. It's not happening really where we're at, but it's happening. And so they really learned to depend on one another. They needed each other to make it through. I mean, you think about our church in Halakte, Belize right now, one church with three locations. And our missions, our, our uh, missions team just went there and visited them and did a bunch of work for them. One of the days, I mean, our team had been working hard all day long. And one of the days, they didn't get lunch because there was no food. And you know what? No one on the team complained at all. Even though it was hot and they were sweaty and they had been working hard, they just kept on working. That church depends on one another for survival. And in our, in our society, you know, it's all about being independent. It's all about not relying on anybody. And I think that's been to our detriment. Because we're just so, um, you know, lone range of mentality that sometimes I wonder if we are forgetting to really depend and rely on one another like God has called us to do. If you aren't depending on his church, you're not depending on God. You say, oh, I don't know about that. Well, if, if the church is how God works and how God operates and how God changes things and you're not committed to a local body, then you're not glorifying God. How can you, how can, how can you expect for, for God to, do, to work through your life if you're trying to do it apart from you, apart from his bride? You need support to grow spiritually. You cannot grow healthy alone. We need each other. I mean, you take a child, you know, you take a child, uh, you know, uh, an eight-year-old child, and, and uh, you just kind of send them off on their own and say, you know, just do your thing. Good luck. I mean, what, what are they, they going to do? They're eight. What's going to happen is they're going to be malnourished. They're going to be uneducated. You know what? And I think right now, the church, the universal church as a whole, I think there's a lot of malnourished, uneducated Christians because they're trying to do it themselves. I love this quote. It's going to get some of you mad. That's okay. The Christian who is not committed to a group of other believers for praying, sharing, and serving so that he or she is known as he knows others is not an obedient Christian. He or she is not in the will of God. However vocal they may be in their theology, they are not not obeying the Lord. That's a strong, strong statement right there. Anyone that says they don't have to be committed to a local church is not committed to Christ. And they don't understand Scripture. They don't. 
anyone that says that they love Jesus but is not committed to a local body, they don't know Scripture. Because if they did, there's no way they would say that. I mean, that is full of the New Testament about being a part of the body. I have never seen anyone be a mature and growing believer without being a part of a church body. I've never seen it. I've been on this earth for 36 years, and I've never seen a mature, growing believer without being a part of a church body. I haven't seen it because it doesn't exist. Now, a lot of people, the people, you know who, you know the people that get defensive when I say this, when I post stuff like this on Facebook? Christians who aren't part of church. There's, they're the ones that respond and get all upset, which is ironic to me. Christians that are doing life alone set a poor example to a lost world who think they can continue to do, to do life on their own as well. Set a poor example. Your commitment encourages others to be committed. Your commitment encourages others to be committed. And your consistency shows commitment. I came across this statistic and I, was, I, was, I couldn't believe it. It says 40% of churchgoers are going to church one to two times a month. 40%. Half of Christians say they're coming to church one to two times a month. And we're okay with that. We shouldn't be. Don't go eating for a week or two and see how you do. I mean, you, you, you don't eat for a whole week or two weeks. I mean, you're, you're going to be a wreck, man. What do you think that's doing to your spiritual life when you think you can just come once or twice a month and, and be okay with that? You say, well, you know, all right, pastor, preacher. You say, I'm in church already. You know, I'm here tonight. So why this message? Well, I want God's best for your life. I want God's best for your family. And that won't happen if you're not committed to his body, to his bride. It won't. And I'm not just talking about coming. I'm talking about committing, serving, giving. You know, attendance doesn't, doesn't mean commitment. And, and I want you to use your gifts. That's why it's, we, we, we emphasize so much why it's so important for you to know your gifts so you can use it to bless others. Are you using your gifts? When you come on a Thursday and a Sunday, do you just grab, you know, your coffee and cappuccino and just come here and sit in and just saying, all right, what do you have for me this week? Or do you come to say, you know what, I'm going to make a difference in someone's life today, tonight. I'm going to come, and I'm going to get to know someone that I haven't met before. Because there's hurting people that sit next to me every single week. And it's not about me. It's about me pouring into other people's lives. God blesses and honors that. And I don't want you to ever fall away from the body. No matter what happens, I don't want you to ever fall away. Because when you fall away, Satan will pick you off, man. He will pick you off. Do you want your kids and your grandkids 
to be committed to the church like you are? Do you want your kids and your grandkids to be committed to the church like you are? And if not, then change. Then make a change. Make a commitment. Are, would you be okay with your kids going to church once a month, your grandkids going to church once a month and just showing up? No, you wouldn't. So why are, we, why are a lot of us okay with that in our own lives? What's important to you is what's going to be important to them. What's important to you is what's going to be important to your family. What would the church look like if we were committed like the church in Acts 2? You know what that would look like? We would serve one another. We would accept one another. We would forgive one another. Greet one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be devoted to one another. We would honor one another. We would teach one another. We would submit to one another. And we'd encourage one another. I want to be that kind of church. I want to be a part of that kind of church for the rest of my life. Don't you guys? So just going over the main points again, the path to holiness starts with humbleness. The church is God's agent for change. If you love the shepherd, you will love his sheep. And committed to Jesus means committed to his church. I'm going to pray.